0: Kansas has its first confirmed case of the coronavirus. A woman in Johnson County who is younger than 50 was isolated in her home and said to be doing okay. Governor Laura Kelly is urging calm.
1: Let me say once again, no one should panic over this new virus or this confirmed case. Kansas still is considered at low risk for spread of the virus.
0: Jim Denning, the leader of the Republican majority in the Kansas Senate, is taking some heat from conservatives in his caucus for stepping up efforts to clear a path for the Medicaid expansion compromise he negotiated with the governor. I am not going to go home without taking a vote on Medicaid. The House is getting ready to rewrite the Senate's sports betting bill, and lawmakers are being recruited to help Kansas universities land top-flight athletes. I'm Jim McLean, and this is Statehouse Blend, Kansas. Joining me to talk about what's happening, not happening, and about to happen maybe at the Statehouse is Stephen Garanda, State Statehouse reporter for the Kansas News Service. Hi, Stephen.
2: Well, hey there.
0: Stephen, I've been checking in with lawmakers about what it's going to take to end this standoff on Medicaid expansion and the constitutional amendment on abortion.
2: Yeah, and for some background for everyone, Senate President Susan Wagle is blocking a vote on expansion until the House sends the amendment to a statewide vote. It's already been approved in the Senate. House leaders are still four votes short of the two-thirds majority. They would need to do that.
0: That's right, and one of those votes belongs to Republican Tom Phillips from Manhattan. He'd vote for the amendment if the anti-abortion group's lobbying board agreed to move the statewide vote from the August primary to the November general election when more people turn out. But they've made it clear to him at least that they won't compromise on the date.
1: They've been in my office uh, several times, and have said that uh, they just do not think that they can win on the general election because they, they fear they'll be outspent by the, the, the pro-choice advocates. I don't know if that's true or not, but they appear to be dug in and saying that it has to be the primary or nothing.
0: Stephen Phillips and others say there's a chance that the uh, groups lobbying for the amendment will give up on getting it done this session and maybe wait two, four years to try again.
2: You know, Jim, I'm wondering if this is going to be one of these fights that drags on into May, and we'll be talking about this as we approach the final days of the session.
0: So clearly that issue is still stuck, but something else is moving, sports gambling. The Senate approved a bill to allow it, and now House lawmakers will hold a hearing on the Senate plan. Stephen, do you anticipate any changes in the House?
2: Oh, yeah, there are some big differences here. The The bill that the Senate approved would allow betting at the four casinos the state owns. You know, the state owns these casinos, but they are actually run by private organizations, and those companies would also be allowed to have sports gambling in cell phone apps. Ultimately, it doesn't provide a lot of revenue for the state, up to about $5 million annually after several years. So this is a Senate bill, right? Correct. That's the bill that passed okay. the Senate already. The bill the House is working on would allow betting at all the state's lottery regions. So the places like convenience stores, where you can buy lottery tickets Hmm. and it would give the state more control and ultimately more money. Uh, The chairman of the committee that's working on the bill thinks that it could provide, you know, maybe 14 to 20 million dollars a year for the state.
0: Yeah, that is a big difference. Uh, Also on the sports front, I think a lot of listeners are, are interested in this topic. Uh, a bill to allow college athletes to be compensated under mm-hmm. certain circumstances. Who's pushing for that, and what are the
2: bill's chances? So to clarify this, student athletes could be compensated, but they wouldn't be paid by the universities. Not to play anyway, Exactly. Right? So mm-hmm. what they could be paid for are endorsements using their name or their image outside of school. Mm. You know, think of an example like a well-known KU basketball player appearing in a commercial for a car dealership or something. Yeah, I can picture that. So officials from KU, K-State, and Emporia State, they all ask lawmakers to approve this legislation, but it's, it's kind of like begrudging support. What they really want are federal laws that would put all states on equal footing. So as Gene Taylor, the athletics director at K-State, told me, they're kind of concerned it would be harder to attract athletes if Kansas doesn't allow this, but other states do.
3: And if you can go to Oklahoma and earn name, image, and likeness, but you can't go to Kansas, we'll lose athletes based on that.
0: So uh, assuming this passes, uh, would it take effect right away?
2: So that's really one of the interesting things here. Uh, these schools don't want to be the first to do this for fear that it might kind of violate NCAA rules, but they also don't want to be the last. So the law would not take effect until 15 other states had already approved laws allowing student-athletes to be paid. So it has a trigger built into it. Mm-hmm, playing it safe. Stephen
0: Coranda, statehouse reporter for the Kansas News Service, thanks as always. We really appreciate the update. Hey, thank you. As you heard in my conversation with Stephen Coranda, Representative Tom Phillips is one of four members of the Kansas House holding up passage of the Anti-Abortion Constitutional Amendment. Phillips, a Republican, is a veteran lawmaker and a former mayor of Manhattan. So he's used to the rough and tumble of politics. But we wanted to know what it's like to be in the spotlight on this issue, one that's roiled Kansas politics for decades. So we asked him, and he told us
1: you're you're being lobbied by special interest groups you've got leadership putting pressure on you and so you know i had some sleepless nights before the vote uh, mm. because i had to really think about what, what I thought was the best uh, way to, to proceed forward with this vote. And I came to the conclusion that this really needs to be on the general election, particularly a constitutional amendment of this magnitude. It's such a divisive issue abortion is in our society mm-hmm. that I think that when you're changing the state constitution, you should encourage the greatest level of voter participation, which occurs in the general election.
0: So that's my vote. The fight, to some extent, is revolving around this question of whether to put it on the primary ballot in August or the general election ballot in November. Uh, you might have a lot of people out there who would shrug their shoulders and say, "You know, okay, what what's the difference?" Let
1: me answer that by stepping back for a minute. You know, I was getting a lot of emails uh, after the vote—probably fifty percent thanking me and fifty percent saying you need to change your vote. Hmm. I you know I don't know what the, the number is, but it was probably close to eighteen hundred right after the vote. That's a lot. That's a lot for me.
0: That's a lot for a state legislator. Yes,
1: and but I, I whittled that down to actually those that were from my district, and it was less than fifty. And so I I prepared a direct response to each one of the, my constituents and explained my vote, and and most everyone either
0: I was, if I had a direct conversation
1: or an email reply, they understood.
0: But what's happening behind the scenes now, there are all kinds of conversations about um, how to compromise on this, how to get this moving so that Medicaid expansion can also move in the Senate. Because, as you know, Senate President Wagle is holding up any consideration of the Medicaid expansion bill until this issue is resolved, right? Does that increase the pressure on you in any way? Well, to to be honest, not really, because I, I didn't make that decision.
1: Uh, leadership is making the decision to hold everything up.
0: So you're not going to be held responsible for the I, fact that yeah, that's I, not your doing. I, I didn't create that situation, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: And my vote is very clear. You you move the the, uh, the date to the general
0: election, and I will be there to vote for this constitutional amendment. But as I understand it, um, the uh, the anti-abortion groups that are really pushing for the amendment. Just refuse to consider that. That's my impression, yes. They,
1: they've been in my office uh, several times and have said that uh, they just do not think that they can win on the general election because they, they fear they'll be outspent in campaign dollars by the, the, the pro-choice advocates. I don't know if that's true or not, but they, uh, they appear at this point in time to be uh, dug in and saying that it has to be the primary or nothing and 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 now, now I'm hearing hall talk, chatter that that they may even wait until the next election cycle or or, or you know just not even bring the amendment forward this time, which is unfortunate because, Unless the leadership changes their position, we won't get a chance to vote on Medicaid expansion, which I think is is a shame. Yeah, how would
0: you, I mean? How would you feel about the session if that if it turned out that you were able to resolve n- neither one of these really really big issues? Yeah, you know, it, well, it's
1: frustrating because yeah. uh, you know this, this for me this issue, and I've, I've thought about this. You know, there's a great deal of of distrust in our society with our government, with our politicians. And, and people feel like we're not getting anything accomplished and that groups with power are, are using the levers of government to achieve their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And, and in some respects, that's what's happening right here. You know, the Kansans for Life are probably the most powerful special interest group in the state. And I should make the listeners understand. I mean, check my voting record if you don't believe me. I, I have voted pro-life in all the nine years I've been here. But this issue is is important to me. That that when you're, this this is kind of the core value of our con of our of our government to mm-hmm. engage as many people in the process as possible, so that we have a functioning government. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so how would you describe
1: as a how many terms are of uh, this is my ninth year in this legislature. So you're
0: you're you're a grizzled veteran, <laughs> nine <laughs> I guess, years I guess of the so. legislative uh, wars and and so you're. You probably were better able to anticipate and withstand the pressure that came your way once you cast that vote, right? I,
1: I think so, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, if I was a freshman, it would be very difficult uh, to, to to stand up to such a powerful special interest group and, and to be able to go back home uh, with confidence and conviction to explain your vote. And ultimately, I think that's the responsibility of all of us as legislators. You know, you, ha- you have to vote what's in your heart because you have to— live with the decisions you make every day. You have to represent the community that elects you. Mm-hmm. And then you have to think about the broader good for the state of Kansas. So, um, yes, I mean, uh, it's probably easier for me as a nine-year veteran to, to withstand this because I've, I've gone through some tough decisions.
0: You're sent here to Topeka to listen to the testimony, to engage people on all sides of an issue, to, as you say, check your own conscience, your own heart, and then make a decision and then explain yourself to voters, Correct. and either they are okay with it or they're not, and if they're not, they have options, right. but that's the way the system is supposed to work. Exactly. I will tell you, I've had a lot of people
1: come up to me in the State House that are you know, both Democrats, moderates, and conservatives asking me how I'm doing because they feel like I'm probably under a lot of intense pressure. And and I'm I'm at peace with my you seem decisions. to be doing just
0: fine, <laughs> and yeah. so
1: so I tell people I'm doing fine, mm. and uh, uh, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm I make people unhappy with my vote, uh, but uh, that's their problem, not mine.
0: Kansas State Representative Tom Phillips, talking about why he's sticking with his decision to vote against sending the anti-abortion constitutional amendment to Kansas voters unless and until its backers agree to move it from the August primary ballot to the November general election ballot. (music) Dr. Lee Norman is someone you should know. As the head of the Kansas Department of Health and Environment, he's a voice of authority when it comes to the new coronavirus. It's his job to make sure that we're ready to deal with the virus now that Kansans are starting to get sick.
3: We have been watching what we call the heat map or activity map from around the world and around the country, and we've been watching this for weeks and preparing. And as the cases increase in in the United States, particularly coming in from both coasts and Midwestern cities with larger airports, it's apparent that they're just going to be spread in every one of the 50 states and probably the territories as well. So we're just anticipating it and are preparing for it.
0: What is it about this particular virus that has people so on edge? Uh, we, it's, certainly it's not the first time and we've had SARS, we've had various, we've had the, uh, the avian flu. Was it, what is it about this particular situation that has people
3: so much on alert? I think it's a number of things, actually. One is it's a new virus, and people are less fearful of things that are old and familiar and there's nothing old and familiar about this the thing that has me concerned is that there's no mitigating forces uh, meaning a vaccine or antiviral medications and i think what has people besides the newness is the rapidity of the spread i mean this has just come on like gangbusters Actually, quite a bit like SARS in 2003 and 4, it seemed to go from zero to 100 miles an hour in just no time at all. And we're there again, but with a much higher case count. And then, of course, a rapid dissemination to other continents, other countries, every every continent. But Antarctica now has cases. So that's a, that's a spread that we're just unaccustomed to.
0: Norman and his team have modeled several scenarios trying to predict how the virus will spread so they can say with confidence that the state is prepared to deal with it. And he thinks we are ready, ready for anything except
3: the worst-case scenario. Are we going to have enough intensive care rooms? Are we going to have enough infection control rooms? Are we going to have enough ventilators? Are we going to have enough staff to run the ventilators? Because usually that's at least one nurse to one patient uh, ratio. Uh, So that's an expensive um, proposition, and and it's... You know, this could go on for a very long time. We have to be mindful of the fact that we want—we don't wear people out. So people, ventilators, rooms.
0: And so what you're talking about then and being prepared for that eventuality is having equipment and staff and being able to ramp up quickly to deal with something like this. And in the current economic environment, particularly healthcare, care, with rural hospitals struggling and everything else— that seems like a fairly difficult proposition.
3: Yeah, it, it will be. And, and we've modeled it, actually. We've, uh, we've taken this as, as a like we did in, with H1N1, certainly like we did with Ebola. And we look at it and say, what are the total case counts? What's the case count number? What's the high end? How bad could it get? Yeah, how bad could it get? Right. And we do that for the total case count, for the severity, for the number that require critical care the number that require ventilators, and the number that are going to die. And then
0: you match that up on what the resources are. Right. Mm -hmm. And And what does that show you now in terms of Well,
3: I've earned my gray hair, and it's over these kind of analyses, because if we had the worst-case scenario, which we say we prep for, we do not have enough intensive care beds for the worst-case scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're looking at alternative strategies for... uh, where else could we take care of a ventilator patient, for example? And where, where might that be? It would be in a hospital, but it just wouldn't necessarily be an intensive care bed because you can't snap your fingers and have new construction. And also, quite honestly, these patients, by the time they require hospitalization, particularly an older patient, like I said, the average or median age is probably around 70 of the people that are uh, that are dying from uh, the coronavirus. That, they would be regionalized anyway. Most of those patients would not be in a small rural hospital. Well,
0: let me ask you this question because it, it just occurred to me as we were discussing this. Kansas has a population that skews older than many states. It's like a lot of rural states. Mm. Older people living in very small towns. Does that present a problem when you're dealing with something like this?
3: I think as long as people recognize what this could be and uh, recognize it early on and have testing for it, I think it should uh, be fine. Fine, meaning no worse than is if they were in a more urban or suburban area, and there might a blessing in disguise might even be that. Um, people are distributed geographically. So the likelihood of them contracting is less.
0: So what you're saying, in in more sparsely populated rural areas, the risk of spreading the virus is somewhat diminished.
3: Right, and and why we see it it came out of China, very densely uh, populated. Uh, We saw it on cruise ships, like the one parked outside of uh, San Francisco right now. They're in very close approximation, sharing uh, water systems, sharing uh, air handling systems. Uh, the people out in more rural counties would uh, be less likely to be exposed to somebody with that.
0: Dr. Lee Norman, Secretary of the Kansas Department of Health and Environment, will be checking in with him on a regular basis as this health crisis unfolds. So listen for updates here on Statehouse Blend and on your favorite public radio station. Also, don't forget to visit our website, ksnewsservice.org, to keep up with news from the Statehouse and around the state. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter, The Insider. Thanks for listening to Statehouse Blend Kansas. In Topeka, I'm Jim McLean.
2: Statehouse Blend Kansas is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. Our theme music was provided by nameless dancers. Follow the Kansas News Service at ksnewsservice.org and subscribe to Statehouse Blend wherever you get your podcasts.